right, thank you, Ms. Hannah. Well, here we go. Some time ago, a survey was uh, taken of church folks, and they were asked the question, what book of the Bible do you most want to hear preached at your church? And the number one answer was the book of Revelation. Similar question was asked to pastors. Pastors, which book of the Bible do you least want to preach from? And the answer was the book of Revelation. And uh, I've been the pastor here now for quite some time, and I've preached on parts of the book of Revelation before, but I've never taken it on uh, on a Sunday morning, the whole book in its entirety. And since nobody's here, I thought this would be a good time to roll it out. So if you have a Bible today, and I hope you do, let's go to the book of Revelation. It ought to be easy for you to find the very last book in your Bible. And today we're going to look at the first three verses, chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh my goodness, Pastor, at that rate, it's going to take us the rest of the year to get through the book of Revelation. And that's simply not true. There's 404 verses, so check your math. Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1 says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things which must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, if you have a copy of your Bible there in front of you, it's likely that the heading over those three verses is the word Prologue. Prologue. The word prologue simply means an introduction to or an explanation of the things that are about to follow. So the first three verses are important for us today because those three verses are introducing the entire book to us. In fact, here's what I want you to know today. These three verses are answering seven important questions for us today about the book of Revelation. And if you get these seven questions right, then you can really just skip the rest of this sermon series because these seven questions are going to tell us all the important things that we need to know about the book of Revelation. But if you want to stick around and find out the exact date when Jesus is coming back and the true identity of the Antichrist, you're going to have to keep tuning in every Every single week. That was a joke, but there's few people in here to laugh at my jokes now. All right, here we go. The first three verses of Revelation answer seven questions. You ready, note takers? Here we go. The seven questions that are answered in the first three verses of the book of Revelation. Question number one What is this book about? What is this book about? Now, to answer that question, let's look at simply the first five words of verse 1 the revelation of Jesus Christ that's what the entire book of revelation is about it's the revelation of Jesus Christ the word revelation there in the original language is the word apocalypsis apocalypsis just say that it's fun to say that's where of course we get our word apocalypse which simply means to unveil. In other words, the book of Revelation is where the curtain is pulled back and Jesus is unveiled before us. We get to see Jesus unveiled for who he really is in all of his glory. The book of Revelation is all about 
Jesus. It is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of his final victory over Satan. It's the unveiling of his final victory over sin. It's his un- the unveiling of his victory over a broken world's system. In chapter 1, Jesus is the priest and king. In chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is examining his church. In chapters 4 and 5, he is the lamb slain who is receiving praise and glory and the title deed to the entire universe in chapter 6 through 19 he's judging the world and returning in his glory and in chapters 20 21 and 22 he reigns in glory and power so the book is about Jesus which is no different is it than the other 65 books in the Bible I believe all the books in the Bible are about Jesus so in that sense revelation is no different at all it's all about Jesus too but there is a way in which the book of Revelation is different from the other 65 books for example the Psalms are poetry the Gospels are narratives the epistles are letters but Revelation is different from all the other books of the Bible Revelation is a series of apocalyptic visions or or visions that are unveiling Jesus, unveiling visions that are showing us more and more the truth of who Jesus is and what he is doing to establish his rule and reign in this world. This book is the unveiling of the fulfillment of the purposes and the plans of God for the universe. This book is the outline for God's program for human history. It shows us that what God began First in creation will be completed ultimately in a new creation. The book of Revelation is showing us that history is his story. So question number one, what is this book about? It's about Jesus. And it's about him ruling and reigning over the entire world. Question number two. Question number two is this. Who wrote this book? Who wrote this book? Look again at verse 1 with me. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Watch this. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. I want you to see that the human writer of this book is John. And we see that not only in in verse 1, but also in verse 4 and again in verse 9. Now, you ought to know a little bit about John. We just spent the last two years working our way through the Gospel of John. The same John wrote uh, the book of Revelation as wrote the Gospel of John. John was a disciple of Jesus. He was especially close to Jesus during the earthly ministry of Jesus. John is the last human author of the New Testament. You see, there's one big requirement for being an author of the New Testament, any of the books of the New Testament. You have to be an eyewitness of Jesus, or you have to be someone that's certified by an eyewitness of Jesus, like like Luke was certified by Paul, or Mark was certified by Peter. Well, John is the last of the apostles. The rest of the followers of Jesus, his disciples, apostles, they're now dead. And so when John is writing the book of Revelation, that's closing out the Bible. It's closing out our New Testament. Okay, so what do we know about Revelation so far? Number one, we know what it's about. It's about the unveiling of Jesus and his rule and his reign over the entire world. 
Number two, we know that it's written by John, the last living apostle of Jesus. Now here's question number three. Question number three, who is this book written to? Who is this book written to? Look at the text again. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. Do you see that? To show to his servants the things that must soon take place. This book is written to the servants of Jesus. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you're a servant of Jesus. That means that this book is written to you here at Grace Life. We like to say we're a family of servant missionaries. So the book of Revelation is written to you, it's written to me, it's written to us. It is specifically written to the servants of God, but not just the servants of God at one place at one time. But this book is written to all the servants of God at all places at all times. I want you to know that Revelation is a book that's universal. Revelation is a book that focuses on the whole world. All nations, all peoples are in view here. So if you're a child of God today, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter where you may be this morning, this book is for you. Okay, so what do we know about Revelation so far? Number one, we know what it's about, right? It's about the unveiling of Jesus and his rule and reign over the entire world. Number two, we know that it was written by John, the last living apostle of Jesus. Number three, we know that it was written to God's servants throughout the world, and that includes you and me if you're following Jesus today. Here's question number four. Question number four is this. How is this book written? How is this book written? Look again at the text, verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. I want you to notice the chain of custody there. You may just leave the the scripture up there for me, if you will. Notice the chain of custody here. God gave this revelation to Jesus. Do you see that? God gave him to show to his servants. So God gave this to Jesus, and then Jesus gave this to his angel. It says he made it known by sending his angel, and the angel then made it known to John. Do you see the chain of custody? God gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to his angel, and his angel gave it to John so that John could turn it around and give it to you and to me. The servants of God. The ESV says it this way, made it known. Some translations say, and he sent and signified it. Signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. The Greek word for signified or for made it known is the word sigmati. Sigmati, it means sign. That's what Sundra's doing behind me. She's giving signs to people so that they can understand what's being spoken The Bible here tells us that that's the way God delivered this book to me and to you, through signs. Literally, the book is written by God, who gives the revelation to Jesus, who gives the revelation to his angel, who gives the revelation to John through signs. He signifies it. Look at that word, signifies. You might write the word down, signifies. We we might, if we didn't know phonics so well, we might look at the word signifies and say it like this, sign. You see, that's how God's giving us this book. It's a book of signs. It's a book of symbols. It's not like Old Testament history 
It's not like the books of poetry. It's not a narrative like the Gospels. It's not a letter like the New Testament epistles. This book is explained through signs and symbols. You guys can pull the scripture down if you would. Now some people have tried to turn all of this into a puzzle. Uh, they, 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 They break out these elaborate and complex charts to try to explain to us how all the pieces of the puzzle comes together. But, but listen, the book of Revelation isn't, isn't really like a puzzle. It's a picture book. That's really what it is. It, it's written in a way to communicate God's truth to you and to me through signs and symbols and visions. And it's important that we know that. We need to know that not everything in the book of Revelation is literal. John's telling us that the whole framework of the book of Revelation is a vision that's filled with symbols and signs. And that doesn't mean that everything in it is symbolic. But the whole framework of the book of Revelation is one of symbolism. And one of the ways that you're going to see a lot of that is through the use of numbers. Numbers. Certain numbers are used over and over again as symbols from God to us to help us understand Things that he's communicating to us. For example, the number 12 and its multiples, like 144,000, is used to symbolize God's people. 10 and its multiples, like 1,000 and 10,000, is used to describe amounts of time, complete amounts of time. The number 7 is used to symbolize perfection and completion. In verse 4 of chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is described as, as the seven spirits. It's a picture of the perfect spirit, the complete spirit of God. Revelation is written to the seven churches that are in Asia, but there's more than just seven churches that were in Asia at this time. So it's a picture of the entire church, not only here in Asia, but around the world. We're going to read about seven letters, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls, all of which together symbolize God's complete judgment in Revelation. The number four also symbolizes completeness, particularly here in in our world. The earth is described in four parts with four corners and four winds, and sometimes four and seven get used together. We read about four series of seven judgments on the earth, and various names of God are used sometimes four times and sometimes seven times. The seven spirits are mentioned four times. Jesus is referred to as the Lamb 28 times, which is four times seven. And seven of those times, Jesus as the Lamb and God as the Father are mentioned together. Now that might sound to you like somebody has had a little too much time on their hand to sit down and Notice all that and to figure all that and to write all that down. And we want to be careful not to read more into this than really what's there. But look, when you start to see some of these signs and some of these symbols and numbers over and over again being used with such precision and such exactness that you might begin to realize that there is nothing that is happening in this book and there is nothing that's happening in this world that's by chance or by mere happenstance everything in this book and everything in our world is happening according to the purposes and the plans of God okay so what do we know about revelation so far we know number one that it's about Jesus it's the unveiling of Jesus and his rule and reign over the entire world secondly we know that it's written by that's right John 
the last living apostle of Jesus. We know that it's written to, that's right, the servants of God, all places and all times. Number four, we know how it was written. God gave it to Jesus, Jesus to his angel. The angel gave it through signs and and visions to John, and then John gives it to us. Here's question number five. Here's the big one. You ready? When is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? Okay, so on your phone, open up your calendar. I'm just kidding. When is this going to happen? That's the big question. When is this all going down? Well, look again at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon, that must soon take place. Now, you might say, soon? John, what are you, what are you talking about soon? He wrote this in, in maybe 90 A.D., nearly 2,000 years ago. What do you mean all this is going to happen soon? Well, I want you to know the word soon doesn't mean that this will be written in 90 A.D., and then the next week all this would happen. Or in the next six months, all of this would happen. In fact, the word soon that's there in the original language in the Greek is the word intakos. Intakos. The word intakos means quickly or with speed. It's not talking about a certain time. It's talking about tempo. It's talking about how this is going to happen. It's going to happen at a certain tempo. It's going to be soon. It's going to be Quickly, what that means is there's no more speed bumps in the way between this being revealed to John in approximately 90 A.D. and all of these things in this book beginning to happen. There's no more obstacles in the way once all this starts. There's no more prophecies to be fulfilled. I I don't know, you've probably ridden a roller coaster before. You know how it goes up the hill, click, 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 click. And then it gets to the top, and it just sits there for a minute. And the anticipation kind of builds like that. Well, this is where we are. In God's plan, the roller coaster right now has climbed to the very top of the hill. And this is where we are today. We're not climbing up anymore. We're at the top, and we've been at the top for the last 2,000 years. And at any moment, this thing is going to take off. And when it takes off, it's going to take off suddenly, and it's going to take off fast, and there is nothing that's going to stand in the way, nothing that's going to stop at all what God is going to do. That's what verse 1 is saying, the unveiling of Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of this entire world, this revelation which God gave to Jesus. And Jesus gave to his angel, and his angel gave to John, and John gives to us. When this thing, this unveiling of Jesus and all these these events, once this thing begins to go, it's going to go fast. And if you're not on that coaster, you ain't getting on. And if you're on it and you want to get off, you're not getting off. Verse 1 says it must soon, or it must quickly, or it must speedily. You might say it unexpectedly is going to take place. There's three illustrations in the Bible about the return of Jesus. The flood of Noah, a thief in the night, and a woman having birth pangs. Now what's common with all of those? What's common with all of those is they're sudden and somewhat unexpected. Think about this. Noah 
had worked on that boat for a hundred years. But nobody knew when that first raindrop would fall. In fact, nobody even knew what a raindrop was. But when that first raindrop fell suddenly, quickly, unexpectedly, then there was no turning back. You could not stop the flood that was coming. It came quickly. It came suddenly. It came unexpectedly. The Bible describes it as the birth pangs of a a woman, a woman in labor. I'll never forget when we were expecting Isaiah, our oldest. He's 21 now. And I remember that morning so clearly that I was ironing my, my dress shirt. I had a wedding ceremony to perform that day. And I stood there ironing my shirt, and then all of a sudden, Shannon doubled over in pain. And she looked at me, and she said, I think I'm going into labor. That was suddenly and unexpectedly. Oh, I knew. I knew we were going to have a baby, but not that day. I had, I had other things to do on that day. The next thing I know, I'm sitting at St. Vincent's Hospital in my suit making phone calls to try to set up a substitute person to perform a wedding ceremony because all I knew was he was coming and he was coming quick. And suddenly and somewhat unexpectedly, the Bible describes the return of Jesus like a thief in the night. You know why a thief comes at night? Because you're asleep. And you're asleep because you didn't expect a thief to come. If you knew he was coming, you wouldn't have gone to sleep, would you? And so the thief comes, and he comes quickly. So when it says in verse 1 that the unveiling of Jesus must soon take place, it means any moment, suddenly. And when it happens, there's no turning back, no stopping it. This old world that you and I are living in has had a stay of execution for 2,000 years. We've been sitting at the top of the hill for 2,000 years. You know what that is? That's God's grace. That's God's mercy. He could have given John this revelation in 90 AD, and the coaster could have taken off the next hour. And that would have been one undeserved hour of God's mercy and grace. But God's done more than that. God's given us, He's given you, He's given our world, 2,000 years of mercy and grace. And in those 2,000 years, He's been gathering together people from all over the world. Every tongue and tribe and nation is assembling themselves together now on this ride called the church and we've been sitting at the top of the tracks for 2,000 years and this ride is going to take off any moment and let me tell you when it takes off it's going to take off fast it's going to take off quick and it is going to take us to a place that is beyond our wildest dreams God's given us 2,000 years of grace but at any moment that age of grace is going to be over And Jesus will come back, not in grace, but in judgment. Okay, so what do we know about Revelation so far? We know, first of all, what it's about. It's about the unveiling of Jesus, right? And his rule and his reign over the entire world. Secondly, we know who it's written by. It's written by John, the last living apostle of Jesus. Number three, we know who it's written to. It's written to God's servants all over the world. 
Number four, we know how it was written. God the Father gave it to God the Son, who gave it to his angel, who signified it to John, who then delivers it to us. And we know how, or or we know uh, it's going to happen. When? At any moment, right? Soon, quickly, unexpectedly. And here's question number six. Question number six is this. Why? Why was this book written? Why was this book written? Look at verse three. Verse 3 says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Look, I want you to know this book, why was it written? It was written to give hope. To give hope. That's the answer to number 6. Why was it written? It was written to give hope. So that people could be blessed. He's writing this to suffering Christians. It's to give hope to suffering Christians. John is writing this as a prisoner from the Isle of Patmos. He's a prisoner there, and that doesn't feel like blessings. The other disciples are all dead, and they've died violent deaths. Christians are suffering. They're being persecuted beyond anything that you and I can imagine. Let's not act like we're being persecuted right now. We're being inconvenienced right now in 2020, but we're not being, at least we're not. Now, we have brothers and sisters in parts of the world that are being persecuted. And certainly in the first century, they're being persecuted, and it didn't feel like blessings from God. The world seems to be falling apart around them. The church is under attack. Their brothers and sisters in Christ are losing their lives, and they're wondering to themselves, what's going on? Does God see this? Does God hear our cries? Does he see our tears? What's going on in this world? Does God even care about us? Is he listening to our prayers? Does he not know how we're suffering? And God gives John a vision to say to the church, things are not as they seem. You may think that things are out of control, As you see the beast come up out of the abyss to make war with you and to persecute you and to kill you and to leave you for dead. But the book says, take heart because Christ has conquered death and Christ has conquered hell and Christ has conquered Satan and Christ is in control and he does see your tears and he does hear your prayers and he does hear your cries and he will raise you up to reign and to rule with him as king forever and ever. And when these suffering Christians get their hearts and their minds wrapped around that, they have hope. They're blessed. Blessed is the one who reads. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what's written in it. God has passed this book down to me and to you to give us that same hope. And this is where I want you to begin to feel the wonder of Christ-centered hope just washing over you today, wherever you may be. I know we're not experiencing persecution in McCullough like some people in the world who are following Christ are, and we're certainly not experiencing persecution like John and his peers were in the first century. 
But we are all familiar with suffering. We are all familiar with trials. And this book is given to us to give us hope. This book is given to Mary Cooley to give her hope since she buried her brother this last week. God's given this book to Mike and Sherry Rice who will bury their 32-year-old daughter Tuesday. This book is given to Deva Acton who will bury her mom on Tuesday. This book's given to you because of what you're going through that maybe you've not even told anybody. It's to give you hope. The book of Revelation is written to say to every single suffering Christian under the sound of my voice right now, God's in control. Jesus is in control. And Jesus has conquered all and he is reigning right now. And, 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 and soon his rule and his reign in this world are going to be unveiled for all to see. And he does hear your prayers. He does hear your cries. He does see your tears. And one day he will return and he will wipe away every tear from your eye. And all these hurts and all these pains are going to be gone forever. And the new will come. And I pray that the book of Revelation... I'm not, I'm not really thinking that I'm going to answer your questions about this book. I don't think that's what God intends. My prayer is that God will use this book to give you hope and peace and joy. In spite of whatever your circumstances may look like. So what are we, what are we learning about this book so far? Here's question number seven. How? How's this book going to give me hope? Pastor, you don't, you don't really know what I'm facing. Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. Pastor, you don't know how bad this hurts. So how is this book going to give me hope? Well, I'll tell you how it's going to give me hope. And I believe it will for you too. This book is going to serve to remind us of how great our God is. Would you look down to verse 8? God himself is speaking in verse 8. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And notice, it doesn't go in chronological order there, right? We would expect it to say, who was and is and is to come. But no, it starts with who is. Don't miss that. The emphasis of the book of Revelation is not on the future. It's on the present. The right here and right now. Suffering Christian, listen. God is. Present tense, right now, with you. Not just in the future, but right now, the one who ex has existed forever in the past, the one who will come in the future right now, he is with you. He told Moses, my name, you want to know my name, he said, I am that I am. He is the God of the present tense. New Testament, he's revealed as Emmanuel, God with us. 
present tense God and he is in control and he is sovereign over all things. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. First letter of the Greek alphabet, last letter of the Greek alphabet. He's the A to the Z. God's saying, I control the beginning. I control the end, and I control everything in between. He's sovereign over all of history, and he's supreme above all things. He is the Almighty, is the Almighty. We're about to read this incredible book that tells us of this story, of this cosmic conflict between God and Satan, between good and evil, between light and darkness. But you need to understand this is not a battle of two equal opposing forces. No, no, no. This is not some duel that we're going to see in the book of Revelation. This is total domination from God that we're going to see. Do you see how that gives hope to suffering Christians? How do you know, suffering Christian, that one day you're hurt? It's going to turn to happiness. How do you know that one day your pain is going to turn to joy? How do you know that when you stand in that cemetery this week, that's not the end? Here's how you know. Because your God is almighty. And he is sovereign over all history. And he is supreme above all things. And he will bring all things in this book to pass because he is unstoppable. And we see that in the present. But this book is also a book about the past. Look at verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was. And who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth. Watch this. To him who loves us, and let's look at the past, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I know we tend to think of the book of Revelation as a book about the future, but it's not. It's not just that. It's also a book about the present. And it's also a book about the past. Revelation is not just a book about a coming king. Revelation is also a book about a king that has already come. Jesus has come. And through his perfect and sinless life. And through his death as a substitute on the cross for me and for you. He has removed our sin. And ransomed us and redeemed us to himself. Maybe you're watching this service today because you heard we were going to be talking about Revelation. And you, you wanted to hear about the future. What's more important than that is that every one of us recognizes our sin and our need of a Savior. What's most important is that we look back to the cross where Jesus died, the central moment in all of human history. What's more important than knowing the day and the hour of when Christ is going to come back is to know that you've trusted Him to be your Savior and your Lord. What's far more important than knowing the identity of the Antichrist is to know the identity of Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. I invite you right now not to look to the future, but to look to that cross. See what Christ has done for you, 
on your behalf and cry out to him today to forgive you of your sin and to reconcile you by grace through faith to God. Non-Christian and Christian alike, look to the past. See what Jesus did at the cross. See his victory over the grave. That's what makes hope possible. It's the greatness of God that gives us hope. And he is great in the present. And he's great in the past. And yeah, you better believe he's going to be great in the future. Look at verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Listen, are you in need of hope today? Look to the present. Look to the one who is. He rules and he reigns right now and he loves you. Are you hurting He loves you. He cares. Are you confused? Are you weary? Are you tired? He sees you right now in your present and he is with you. And he's for you. Are you in need of hope today? Look at the past. He's come. He lived. He died. He conquered sin and death in the grave. Oh grave, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? God has liberated you from an enemy that you never would have been able to liberate yourself from. Are you in need of hope today? Look to the future. He's coming back in all of his glory. And every eye will see him on that day. And if you belong to him, you're going to rule and you're going to reign with him in this new creation forever and ever. And every tear will be wiped away. We're one weekend to our study. So what do we know? We know what it's about. It's about the unveiling of Jesus ruling and reigning over the entire world. Secondly, we know who wrote it. God gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to his angel. His angel gave it to John. John signifies it to us. We know who it's written to. It's written to God's servants all over the world, all places, and all times. We know how it was written. God To Jesus, Jesus to his angel, angel to us, signs, symbols, and visions. We know when it's going to happen. Soon, quickly, speedily, unexpectedly. We know it was written to give us hope. And we know that it will give us hope. Because we know how great our God is. We know how great he was. And we know how great he will be. Let's pray. God, we bow our hearts before you, thankful and Excited that we get to dive into this book together. But the point here is not to encounter the book, but to encounter the God behind the book. The God that the whole book revolves around. To see Jesus high and lifted up in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, in all of his greatness. I'm so thankful that you spelled it out so clearly that he is. He is. And right now, people are hearing this and they need to know that He is present right now. He is for them right now. He is speaking to them through His Word right now. He is great in His presence. He's great in the past work that He did at the cross for us to reconcile us to you. 
And at any moment, we're going to see him revealed as great in our future. As king of all kings and Lord of all lords. Who makes everything right and wipes away every tear. So Holy Spirit, would you flood your people today with hope? Would you fulfill the the very intent for which you gave us this book? Give us hope in our sorrow. Give us hope in our suffering. Give us hope in our struggles. Give us hope in our darkness. Give us hope in our despair. Give us hope in our depression. Would you show us how great and wonderful you are and draw us close to your heart? I want to invite you wherever you may be right now. Would you just stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Just set your heart and your mind on how great our God is.